Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. It is 3.30 on a Monday afternoon. We have this brief break, a very welcome break. Free weekend last weekend for the first time in a while, it feels like. But just about everybody in IndyCar really, truly, and properly took a deep breath. know a lot of drivers I have spoken with in their native land or a place that is vacation-like, recharge their batteries, and then get going again this weekend, this Friday, practice session, Toronto, Honda Indy Toronto, continuing. Good news there. Spoke with Jeff Atkinson, the president of the event for Green Savory Race Promotions. You might have read that on Racer here today. They are indeed working on, and they will get an extension done for IndyCar to stay at Exhibition Place. So really great news there. But coming off of a welcome break and right back into things, (laughs) I won't be in Toronto this weekend, unfortunately, but we'll be back on the road starting the following week at Iowa. And, oh boy, I am then on the road almost every single weekend through early October. I think there's maybe a one weekend break, but yeah, uh, IMSA Elkhart, IndyCar, Indy Road Course, Monterey Reunion Vintage Race, IndyCar Gateway, IndyCar Portland, IndyCar Laguna, IMSA Indianapolis, uh, Rensport Reunion, Porsche at Monterey, uh, IMSA Road Atlanta season finale, and then in November, the Velocity Invitational Vintage Event at Sonoma. So, woof. Uh, busy, busy times ahead. I need to get started on a book project as well. Uh, so yeah, between all that and normal life, um, yeah, (laughs) batteries have been charged and they might be depleted almost immediately. Friends, let's say a big thank you to y'all for more great questions you've sent in all assembled by our friend, Jerry Sudduth. Huge, huge appreciation for the support that we receive from Cooper Tires those amazing folks based in Ohio whose products are not only available for road and off-road vehicles, but also happen to look after the USF Championships discount tire, which is connected with the USF Championships as well. Big thank you to them, the Justice Brothers, makers of automotive chemicals and lubricants for about a zillion years. And finally, torontomotorsports.com. If you love motor racing memorabilia of all kinds, pay them a visit torontomotorsports.com so gonna do something that i haven't done in a little while and that is a mash the throttle episode gonna try and get through as many questions as i can as quickly as i can Uh, i also have a lot of other writing to do just filed part one of a three-part mid-season reflections piece and oh there's a lot more words to complete Uh, There's another story or two or five that are in the works. Just lots to do. Plus, we're going to try and do a Racing Family Twitter Spaces show tonight. So let me uh, hit the throttle here. One thing I'll mention before we do that, uh, I don't cover NASCAR, but I can tell you that the most interesting rumor that I have heard and one that a couple of folks have told me is not totally out of left field and could indeed be happening. Andretti Autosport 
buying Spire Sports NASCAR charters? Is that happening? I can't tell you because I don't cover NASCAR, but folks who know such things suggest that that might be happening. So if it happens, then indeed Michael Andretti and his new partners will be engaging in their, I think, no joke, is it 10th championship at the same time? I don't remember whether they're up to seven, eight, nine. It feels like nine might be the number, but maybe it's seven, whatever it is. Um, they've told us, told me, that they do indeed want to get to NASCAR. Uh, is that on the horizon here? Coming soon into Cup through what Spire bought not too many years ago? Uh, we'll see. But yeah, so that's the most interesting non-IndyCar thing that has floated across my phone and whatnot in recent days. Let's get to something that a couple of you have asked, and I just rang to try and get the answer, and I apologize, but uh, there was no answer on the other end, most likely traveling. But I can fill in a little bit here. Our pal Mitsuki Matsura opens the show asking about whether Simon Pagino has been cleared. Um also have a few others andrew miller asking uh, if simon can't go this weekend due to lingering issues from his crash in mid ohio does that automatically place meyershank racing's tom blomquist in that plan for toronto don't have the answer yet hope to have it sometime soon it's a little bit of sensitivity here too right know that mike told us late last week that simon had a check-in with the indycar doctors today monday i could probably go to social media and who knows uh see if he's already posted something there but you try not to lay into people too much or too hard to find out such things they pick up great if they don't you don't wear them out so um don't have an answer for that yet uh, mitsuki does say it'd be sad if simon's unable to go um asking about potential candidates would have to suggest that as andrew rightfully mentions young mr blomkvist winner yesterday at most sport aka canadian tire motorsports park with his teammate colin brown um we're trying not to say this too loud and i know i've written it a couple times as probably unlikely and we'll keep saying that but uh tom's coming to indycar next year with with shank uh allegedly wink wink nudge nudge um would i think that a guy who's already in canada and employed by meyer shank racing who is a reigning imsa dpi champion with the team and just about the fastest thing we have seen in imsa prototypes since he arrived would i think the guy that's already in canada who just won the big race for shank and company yesterday might be the leading candidate to drive in canada i don't think that'd be a stretch y'all if he's unable to go for whatever reason uh would i think that they might look to a linus lindquist would i think an oliver askew would i think a probably a couple others that come to mind sure uh connor daly as well uh, i would say connor immediately just know that in our interview with mike shank last week he did mention that if simon's unable to go it might give them 
uh, a window here to go with someone they're thinking about haven't had a chance to run before which is why connor wasn't the immediate answer but yeah uh if simon can't go which would be a little bit of a surprise i think good old tom uh boy that would make an awful lot of sense uh let's see what do we go to kevin devries a fine fine son of canadia uh victoria morell you also asked something similar here said prior to your article on racer about that impending news of green savory and they're getting an extension done to stay at toronto there have been lots of internet chatter saying indycar should run at most sport aka ctmp said i watched the gtp cars rip around there on sunday is it even remotely feasible to meet IndyCars and the FIA's track grading requirements without destroying or neutering what makes most sports so beloved? Also mentions, bummer won't be up here this weekend, but I'll have to try an adult beverage and some of those ketchup chips you like um, with the Pruday beer pimp for you. Well, that's awesome. And hello, Pruday. Much, much love to y'all. Also, happy birthday, belated birthday yesterday to one of the upstanding members and early members of the Pruday, Jeremiah Morrell. Um, and for those who don't know, the Pruday is a listener group that formed around the show. And if you'd like to join, just wait till the end of the show and, or fast forward, and I will try and drop it in there. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what the grading is for CTMP. I would assume it's FIA grade two, which I think is the uh, at least the minimum standard for IndyCar the gtp cars are wickedly fast but more so in a straight line than in the corners indy cars are very quick in a straight line but it's the cornering speed kev where they are just wicked and so since most sport is (laughs) except for the back straight pretty much one long rolling corner of holy cow that's where the concerns come in we saw a very what are you thinking or maybe you weren't thinking move by augusto farfus to close the race yesterday in his number 24 uh bmw just nerf ringer van de zanda off the road at the end of that long back straight and even on pavement right even on asphalt to try and slow the car renger was carrying so much speed in that cadillac that he just slid straight across slid sideways and hammered the tire barrier just driving home the point here that if you think about how fast the gtp cars were going the fact that indy cars would be going at least as fast if not more uh even purely paved runoff area and a pretty long runoff area wasn't enough to scrub off all the speed before a big crash took place. Renger was okay. Obviously that's awesome, but that's really about the one or so only examples I can think of that are like that. Everywhere else you go off and crash in those many many non-stop high-speed corners and it's going to look like an airplane crash in an indy car so i love the idea of going to most sport to vir to road atlanta and right some of the tracks that imsa goes to in fully fendered fully covered uh gts and prototypes 
crashes there bad crashes there just are very different than an open wheel car with far less bodywork and material to prevent significant shattering and snapping of cars in half and that kind of stuff uh, where things would get out of control so i can't see it kev uh, again without radically pushing back pretty much everywhere around the track to make space for an indy car and at that point in time i wouldn't want to see it because i love most sport like most people do because it is so wickedly amazing and having to make it less of a oh my goodness goodness uh i clinched up my shorts um i wouldn't want to do that just for one series uh ed joris you're asking about what's a big event you think indycar is working on could it be a double header in milwaukee uh well no that wouldn't seem to qualify he says uh neither would a new course in nashville uh maybe an atlantic city street race uh, don't know uh, i need to check in here i won't pretend to have great insights on this topic i've heard that you know there are ongoing discussions of where might we do something cool new different and whatnot but i don't know if i have heard anything ed to suggest that there's really truly something that would be anywhere close to actually happening uh let's see ed also says mark miles implied that there was a new postseason event on the horizon for fall 2024 speculation seems to be australia can i suggest japan well um i think someone else wrote a what the 2024 calendar might be like story in the last week or two just sharing that i might have written that like over a month ago um and have also mentioned repeatedly and in the last thing that i wrote ed that argentina postseason 2024 remains the standout choice there were questions as to whether it could be brazil uh mentioned in the last thing i wrote on next year's schedule that that really would not be the thing so yeah um just recommend to huddle up with the things that i write brother because you'll probably learn things uh pretty early on uh let's see ben neal how you doing ben says what are some of the silly season rumors on drivers not named marcus erickson well is that even possible uh, he says callum eilat is one that i'm super curious to see where he lands that dude is a baller and i think we got a couple others that keep in mind jerry always does a great job of selecting whether it's someone new or the question asked by multiple people that he feels fits the show best and i know there are a couple of you that asked about uh, silly season so uh, thanks for yours ben well if we're not talking marcus erickson and if we did real quick we'd say that uh if he's not at andretti or ray hall i'll be absolutely shocked when we go through guy i lot for a moment here i feel for callum because if we were talking two or three months ago when i wrote it wasn't my first silly season piece of the year but i don't know second maybe whatever it was uh and i asked around team owners team managers the people doing the deciding on who to go after 
for free agents for whatever else as i wrote then i don't know late march early april whenever i lot was the guy he was mentioned even more than erickson as the number one person to pursue the end of the season and that made total sense because if you look at good old kaloom i lots results early in the season had that really really strong run to fifth at st pete had another strong run at texas right newish guy to ovals and hey did really well there um there was significant early season whoa take a look at this ilock guy and hasn't been as good since it's not as if he's been driving with less skill since then but we can say we've seen the somewhat inevitable small team versus big team arc play out what is that well every team goes into the offseason with a plan to come up with ideas plan to come up with all kinds of brilliant things that are going to make their cars faster the following season where this goes in the same direction for everybody is everybody comes up with their ideas that's great everyone hits the new season with those ideas and as we've seen some like ray hall letterman lanigan meyer shank ed carpenter um it ain't happening problems whether they went down the wrong r&d idea paths or who knows but bottom line is some teams come out of their off season of speed pursuit and got nothing just fall flat on their face and others like the hunkos hauling a racing team that callum and his rookie teammate augustine canapino drive for happen to have found some really good and useful things saw that demonstrated in their performance at saint pete saw that demonstrated again by both drivers augustine in particular in his first ever oval race the two of them were really impressive at texas and then things took a little bit of a step back at long beach obviously the changing the curbing there uh catching folks by surprise saturday morning callum having that big crash him being the the crash test dummy unfortunately that really brought this to light weekend went backwards for him never fully recovered uh, augustine didn't have a, a super amazing uh, weekend in long beach but just driving home the point here that we had a really strong open to the season a little bit of adversity at long beach callum was better for sure kind of sort of back um in a stronger position finished 13th at barber i think and from there um things haven't been awesome uh, i know he rallied to finish i think 12th at the indy 500 after a really bad month but the answer to the question on callum terms of free agency they have gone through as a small team that kind of sad but almost inevitable thing where had some great ideas during the off season those played out early in the season but the smaller teams either because they don't have the right budget or they just don't have enough people right they might have the money but they don't have a 
large enough engineering staff and dedicated departments to find these little speed improvements at all times, you get overtaken by the bigger teams that do. And for what it has looked like from the outside over the last four or five, however many races, was, yep, they spent what they got and got it, and the spotlight has, for the most part, been off of Callum. And so that's why I'm hoping uh, Toronto, knowing that they did well in the street course at St. Pete, that bar prior to that crash, things seemed to be good potential, at least at Long Beach. Um, they were dreadful at Detroit. Uh, but again, hopefully they can get back on track a little bit because if we're talking free agent value, Callum really needs to get some of that spotlight back on him. And without it, I keep hearing his name mentioned as a possibility at Ganassi. Haven't heard his name mentioned in as many places as an option as I did a couple of months ago. So that's our guy there. Let me switch over to another story I'm working on. And obviously I don't like to give away what I'm working on before I've finished it, but, um, this probably won't surprise you, but uh, somewhat beleaguered AlphaTauri Formula One driver Nick DeVries, I have heard his name mentioned by three IndyCar teams. Um, assuming Nick is not a Formula One driver in 2024, and assuming he doesn't decide to try and latch on to a fading dream by being reserve driver again for Mercedes or whomever or simulator and test driver and basically signs up to earn money by having no real chance of racing an F1 car. Assuming Nick's not an F1 as a driver and doesn't try and claw onto a hopeless scenario, he has real chances in IndyCar to consider. A conversation I've had with one or two team owner principal types about Nick has also included the following. Prior to this season in F1, there was no doubt that this guy was a absolute badass. The potential for him to continue being that remains. But how many times have we seen a driver coming out of a season-long emotional, spiritual, self-confidence beatdown in Formula One, then shows up in IndyCar or another leading series and reverts right back to that ass-kicking version of themselves. You don't see that a ton. I know we could look at Romain Grosjean as a bit of a counter to that argument, but while everything that happened to him in F1 with that big crash and the ending of his career and such was terrible, uh, he was primed to rebound from that. Had gone through hell, came through, and his time in F1 was over, but the way his time in F1 ended gave him more motivation, new motivation, however you want to put it, 
what we saw was a guy who was like, this is perfect for me and performed as such. I'm not saying Nick DeVries cannot do those very same things, but you always have to worry if the guy who intrigued you before things went really bad in F1 can still find that same ass-kicking guy who we just have not experienced uh, for a little while now. Um, Let's see. Here's a name, and I don't think we're going to see him in IndyCar, which makes me sad because I've always been a huge fan of his, had these conversations with him, although it's been a long time. But I did hear from a friend that Sam Bird, right? I guess we know him more recently, modern era as Formula E driver, super quality, obviously success achieving Formula E driver, Sam Bird. I think of him as junior open wheel, European junior open wheel, badass, then moved into sports cars and was super quadruple badass there as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know how old Sam is now, mid thirties, something like that, but I do not doubt his skills or his capabilities to, uh, to do something pretty interesting. Um, lots more here. This might be the only, uh, in-depth question that we, uh, we do this episode, but, oh, there's a lot more. Um, hopefully I'll get that done here in a reasonable amount of time. Ben and post that to racer.com. Uh, Chris Kalewick. How you doing, Chris Marshall? Been enjoying the technical questions lately. So I wanted to ask a question regarding aerodynamics and cars following each other. Ask away says while watching the inferior open wheel series, formula one, they mentioned turbulent air and how cars cannot follow for too long without burning up their tires. Whereas in NASCAR, the draft causes the lead car to take the air and following car to slingshot pass. Say an Indy car where the cars are somewhat similar to formula one. Why are they able to follow each other better and not suffer the same issues as F1 cars? Say what's the aerodynamic difference? So, you know, sometimes on ovals, if a car can slice down on another, it can upset the car. Can you explain what that means? Sure, we'll go backwards here. So the slicing down on each other, the, the quote, taking air off. Uh, yeah, for sure. And that can happen in Cup or IndyCar or any other junior open wheel series that might be out there or, I guess, uh, stock car series. Uh, it's a timing thing, right? If you are going down a long straightaway heading towards turn one at whatever oval, if you're already in the corner, you've already turned in, the car's taken a set, and it's navigating around the corner, even if it's just the early portions of that corner, um, you're not really at risk of losing the quality of the front of the car, it being taken away and it running off. But if it happens as you're transitioning into the corner, oh, you can lose your downforce. So that's what happens, Chris. It's really on that turn-in phase to a corner where you're doing that transition from the straight into the corner where someone either pulls in front of you, slide job, and takes that air off the front of the car, which then more or less sets it free open wheel or even a stock car depending on the track and there's a lot of marbles up close to where they're running 
uh, or vice versa, someone chopping down on you, whatever it might be. Uh, it's really the transition that we're talking about on ovals where this is the deal. If we're looking at the other parts of the question, and I apologize, I just got off the phone with the IndyCar team owner and I scrolled in the wrong direction. Um, let's see, you're also asking about why F1 can seemingly follow closer, um, or no, no, why IndyCar can seemingly follow closer than F1, etc. Um, I wouldn't say it's as much or as exaggerated as it sounds like it might have been presented uh, during the F1 race. Keep in mind that a lot of work has been done all the way back in 2012 when the cars came out, these Delarty W12s, through the current era with this 2018 spec UAK Universal Air Kit 18 that Delara IndyCar came up with. Reducing drag, reducing turbulence coming off the cars is really and truly a big part of the mindset and execution of what has taken place in IndyCar. Granted, at the road course races and street course races and short oval races where maximum downforce is used or something pretty close to maximum downforce is bolted on, you have on the top side of the cars the exposed front and rear wings that being different than the underwing makes a lot of downforce as well but that's not the big turbulence creator that makes it hard for cars to follow closely without turbulence and instability creating understeer and ruining the front tires it's really the drag and really by comparison to a, a speedway car, really turbulent air coming off of those tall, seemingly upright front wing elements and rear wing elements. And in that situation, you do indeed have just a lot of air coming off the cars that feels like it's in the spin cycle, right? Just getting thrown around and chucked around like you're inside of a dryer. Um, that's what they're talking about. Formula One cars have lots more downforce than an Indy car, for sure. Um, teams do indeed try and work on minimizing drag as much as they can while also making buttloads of downforce, too. Where things are different in F1 than IndyCar in that regard overstating the obvious in indycar they're all the same they're all dw12s all using spec bodywork f1 each chassis is a unique construction by the team running those cars and so the aero wash the drag coming off of a williams will be different than that of an alfa romeo and so on and so you can't exactly predict Till you get through a couple of races and understand whose cars are like what when you're following them they do also have evolutions that happen throughout the year uh, with body work but we have vehicles that may be more concerned about pure downforce than drag at many of the tracks that they go to they also have a lot of customization that happens which is 
pretty open in the rules by comparison to IndyCar. Where there's no evolution allowed here, basically, but go to a F1 track with crazy long straights, a Monza, for example. Well, that aero package is going to be very different than a Monaco, where you are crushing every ounce of downforce you can get onto the car and truly not even thinking about drag. Don't care. Be as turbulent as can be. Who cares? All about the downforce. Other places, they can customize where it's not the case. So, would say in very general sense here, um, this will happen in IndyCar. This spend too long running behind somebody, and you can definitely burn the front tires off the car. And whether that's a road course or an oval, you can start to burn off the front tires. And as they start to lose grip, then you can start getting snap oversteer because you're turning more and more and more, turning the steering wheel more and more to get the front of the car to rotate. And then eventually it does. And if you still have too much steering wheel input, you can then have that grab and catch and slide the rear of the car. And then you start burning off the rears and it can happen in both series. So I don't know if I would say in F1, it's a drastic concern compared to IndyCar being somewhat less of a concern. It can easily happen in both, and it really does take smart driver, experienced driver to recognize the situation of trying to get by somebody who is, in theory, uh, slower and or should be behind me, but I'm struggling, and do I keep charging behind them super close and put my tires and the quality of my race at risk or do i fall back just a little bit and try and make a run do i run just a tiny bit back but keep the pressure on them that's what alex polo did at mid ohio which eventually saw benjamin peterson make a mistake which allowed him to get by so it's to the newer and uninitiated where you tend to see this becoming a bigger problem that doesn't get managed properly. Uh, let's see. Eric Franklin, say, living here in Chicago. There's a lot written about the good and bad surrounding the recent NASCAR street race. One point that I found interesting was NASCAR rented for the paltry sum of $500,000. Grant Park from the city. So the normal order of business is for the event organizers to pay a sanctioning fee, isn't it? Uh, indeed it is. Um, you say it's not for the sanctioning body to rent the space, Correct. Again, the traditional route is for a Grand Prix at Long Beach Association to enter into a many years long agreement with the the city of Long Beach, pay Long Beach X amount of money to make use of the streets and the, the area in general for however many years. And yes, so how exactly the business gets done could vary a little bit, but you tend to have that or a green savory race promotions with St. Pete and Toronto for talking street races. And they will do the business with the city. And then the racing series coming there will do business with them. Um, the, the series going straight to the city is a little bit of a non normal thing. Granted, now that Roger Penske owns IndyCar through Penske Entertainment, we do have a case where 
as the somewhat longstanding promoter of the Detroit Grand Prix, we do indeed have the people who own IndyCar also in direct negotiation doing the deal with Detroit. So there's that. Um, you also asked, do you think this is a dangerous precedent given that roughly 25% of IndyCar's events are run on temporary street courses? I don't. Uh, I mean, whatever the best business case is, that's what IndyCar will do, I'm sure. But IndyCar has given no indicator to me when I've asked about, hey, do you want to start a race promotions division? Right. And again, I realize they do promote a race through Penske Entertainment, which already existed and was already running Detroit. But does IndyCar want to start something even bigger? And they're also involved with the Iowa event. I get that. They're co-promoters among, I don't know if co is the word. I think there are two or three involved. But regardless, do you guys want to start a bigger business here and really build out you know, event promotions and put on more and take on more and et cetera? And at least for when I spoke with uh, Penske Corporation President Bud Denker, at Long Beach, so this would have been middle of April, three-ish months ago, he said, no, we have no desire to do that. I asked that because I'd heard they were. At least according to Bud, they aren't. Is that changing? Could that change? Of course. But that's the, the most recent news I have to offer there. So I don't foresee it being a dangerous precedent, but if IndyCar wants to build out something like that and take over, future street courses uh, that are currently on its calendar and develop new ones on its own um, there's nothing stopping them uh, unless green savory or whomever else wants to fight and make sure they don't get their hands on that uh, let's see all right we are getting pretty close to the end here let me keep doing the as fast as i can routine i shouldn't say as i can i could go faster but uh todd hudson Sorry, took a little sip of coffee there. Watching this year's USF Pro 2000 season. Presented by Cooper Tires and supported by Discount Tire. More closely than in the past, I'm starting to believe that Michael Lando and Miles Rowe battling each other for wins and championships might be something we're talking about most years for many years to come. What say you? The future is bright. Well, Todd, if you caught any of last year's USF 2000 championship uh you would have seen this exact thing happening with miles leading the majority of the season winning more races than anybody stumbled the final weekend right and michael Orlando, indeed it's our new reigning defending he's not defending it actually but reigning uh, usf 2000 champ so last season ended up being the d orlando and row show and what have we seen happen this year? Well, Michael had a really rough start to his inaugural USF Pro 2000 campaign. Enough so to where his couple of wins recently, his success recently, uh, it's helped. It's been really good. It's moved him forward in the points, but it's still a pretty big gap to overcome. Miles leading the championship. I mean, he... He sure is looking like the guy who can hold on to it and win the title. 
here's what stands out that absolutely affirms everything you're saying. By no means are Miles Rowe and Michael D'Orlando the only two USF Pro 2000 drivers we should be watching. But there's also no doubt that these two who did it last season and are continuing it this season have the appearance of two kids that are pretty darn special and really good at beating up each other. Sorry, I don't know why I just lost my voice and went verklempt there, but I love this. Notice the same thing, Todd. Appreciate the same thing that, hey, these two kids keep finding each other, and they're lovely children, truly. Uh, Michael, not only is he crazy talented, he's a good kid. Miles, crazy talented, good kid. Uh, I'll raise the good old red, white, and blue and say I love that they're both American too. Not that I wouldn't love it if it was someone from another country, but it's great to see as we keep looking for future Joseph Newgardens and Colton Hurtas that, hey, here's a couple of kids mid-tier of the, the junior American open wheel ladder who are jumping out. I mean, we can extend this beyond them for sure, Brazil, Kiko Porto, that kid's looking pretty darn good for sure, right? Step down, you go Matt Clark. We got, you know, some Maple Leaf uh, speed coming out of a young kid from Canada, uh, Felipe Giafone's son, right? USF Juniors, and that's, you know, we're just starting out there. So we're not going to go too crazy on saying he's, you know, future IndyCar champion, but he's been winning a ton there and so on and so forth. Obviously, Nolan Siegel, Christian Rasmussen, and Lewis Foster, the Indian XT by Firestone. There's right kids from Denmark, the UK. Here, right. I mean, I'm staring out the window right across Palo Alto-ish, where uh, Nolan's from. There's all kinds of talent. Um, these two kids, in particular, though, I'm with you. I think, I hope that we are going to be seeing the two of them. Uh, doing this for many years to come uh, right the old pato and colton thing that was really cool to see emerge in indie lights and it's continued now for many years and i love seeing these former teammates now being two of the best in indycar uh haven't really been teammates yet but yeah give me miles and michael here plus a lot of the other kids that i mentioned and uh, we're going to be in good shape uh, our pal Colin Young says, when a driver spins out and he or she doesn't get the clutch paddle pulled, does the engine rotating backwards cause engine damage? Uh, often, yes. And to the point to where if this happens and the motor does spin backwards, you will often have the manufacturer say, let's just pull it. Uh, not, we're going to spend an hour or two removing plugs and everything else and doing a forensic no just let's just yank it it's not even worth risking and then uh if no damage is found and it is safe to use again it can go back into the usage pool i believe with no penalty at all uh so yes for sure uh it's a pretty big concern um you also say i guess this leads to a subsequent question regarding how anti-stall works um so when you have certain conditions met that are seen through the electronics uh 
you have a hydraulic actuation of the clutch. And so when conditions are seen that someone's at risk of stalling the motor, uh, there are, again, thresholds or triggers put in place where the electronics intervene and depress the clutch to try and keep the motor from stalling. So uh, that's how it works. Uh, let's see. Kurt Pose, how you doing? One of our good friends who volunteers on the race weekends. Uh, SECA volunteer. I don't recall if you also volunteer as part of USAC, Kurt. Those are the two main sanctioning bodies uh, that provide volunteer corner workers, radio, just all levels of race infrastructure for IndyCar events, IMSA events, and so on. Thank you, Kurt, once again, for your volunteerism. He says, you mentioned August is when current IndyCar drivers can start talking to other teams to get silly season stuff really going. Was there any news and drivers from Europe being interested in coming over? Any names to watch for? Also mention, hope your vacation with Miss Prude is amazing. Well, it's over, uh, and we ended up having to stay home, but it was really good, like seriously. Um, when I think back to this year and the period post Road America in pre-Iowa, I will think of her and just all the time we have spent together. And seriously, just makes me smile. Um, August 1st is the most common cannot negotiate before date for drivers to get past to do such things so basically i think the, the more accurate way to put it is at 1201 a.m august 1st that is when the majority but not all but the majority of free agents who have contracts that say can't talk to nobody can't negotiate with nobody uh, that's when that moratorium lifts there are some maybe not as many should say forget the maybe not as many who have a september 1st uh maybe in even rarer scenario that says after the final race right we don't want you talking to anybody until the season's over i don't know many of those um but yeah in some cases not a ton as well you have july 1st as that uh, get past you know past midnight brand new month july 1st you're off and running for the most part august 1st is it kurt um i don't want to give away all the european stuff quite yet um but let me just roll and see of the folks not at indycar who aren't named nick devries um I have one, two, three, four, five drivers. And they aren't necessarily all European, but we can say that they race primarily in Europe. Um, I have five drivers on, on my list. No, no. I have five drivers on that part of the list. Uh, let me scroll up. Sorry. Uh, I would say I'm half an idiot, but I think you all know that that would be uh, fairly drastic under accounting um i'll just say six to seven jump out as hmm i hear your names either somewhat regularly 
or I've heard your name at least once and from someone who is a pretty serious player in IndyCar uh, who could hire or recommend for hiring um, a pretty decent amount. And we're barely into July, right? I do think <laughs> we are going to have more names for sure because starting we're not too far away from getting into that phase of f1 f2 season where could there be there will be more folks largely on the f2 side whose seasons just had high hopes didn't improve they're going to end up in some sort of unrewarding championship position and they know that they're going to need to find something somewhere else if they want to continue driving and there's only so many Felipe Drogovich champion, but you don't have an F1 seat, but you're a test and reserve driver, um, and it's probably costing you money to have that distinction. There's only so many of those things available in F1. And so some of these kids where you go, hey, you want a race or two in F2, you finished fifth seventh whatever in the standings are you really going to try and take your money and pay to be the second number two reserve number three reserve you're the the backup sim driver like my gosh let's have a date with reality here so not quite there yet but i would say for sure we're a month month and a half away from more calls coming in uh, for sure, from managers by and large of those types of young drivers, either on the fringes of F1 at the moment or an F2 who are going to be led to the realization that they're not going to be racing for, testing for, doing much of anything for anyone in F1. And it would be better to try and look over here for something. All that said, I hope they don't wait too long if they have real hopes of doing that because there aren't very many seats that I can think of that will truly be open and available for either hire, which is what it would be for the majority of these drivers or open and waiting for the best talent to identify itself to then be hired. Um, don't think I'm, giving you any kind of revelation here because i've said it written it whatever uh jack harvey won't be back in the number 30 ray hall letterman lanigan racing honda team has not said anything official hasn't published anything nor has jack just saying jack won't be back in the number 30 are there a couple of drivers the team has their eye on already of course will there be more drivers angling to get into that of course same at Ed Carpenter Racing in the number 20. Ryan Hunter Ray is currently driving. Same with Meyershank Racing, Hunkos Hollinger Racing, Dale Coyne Racing, uh, Racing, Racing, Racing. There's going to be a lot of angling. But whereas RLL will be hiring somebody for the number 30, uh, is Coyne paying out of pocket for people to drive either of his cars? Eh, not happening uh 
could there be someone hired in a couple other seats potentially but business is going to be the thing that gets done in a number of available seats chip ganassi racing lots of seats to lock down there'll be some paying going on but meaning to a driver hiring of but there'll probably also be decent amount of budgets being brought so it would be wise for those who are thinking of looking to america who have a resume that would pique the interest of a any of those teams that i just mentioned to let themselves be known now instead of waiting a month or two or a month and a half because it's going to be a lot of decisions made sooner than later here kurt for sure uh okay we're going to wind down to the last couple and then say farewell jamie dolinger marshall just got done watching the four-part hybrid roundtable series you did and i hope to see more of this soon well uh your your wish shall be my command uh you say my question is in the fuel consumption side of hybridization i have zero real knowledge and understanding how all this truly works and will affect the cars next year um but for my understanding's sake will this technology not only give the cars extra boost and horsepower electrically but will it also reduce fuel consumption throughout the entire race wondering if many of the current race links split between two and three stop strategies could this bring all strategies down to two stops at the existing fuel cell capacity um great question and i don't fully know yet jamie the reason being is still waiting to learn and find out i don't know if indycar is 100 percent determined their plans for using hybridization is it purely a performance enhancer right we know by rough numbers what they told us it's going to replace turbocharge push to pass that we have right now that puts an extra 40 50 whatever horsepower onto the motors when it's used we know that we're going to be in about the 100 electric horsepower boost range so as it's been described to us press the button boom gonna get that 100 horsepower for either however long you have in terms of battery charge or will indycar say you can only use x amount per time meaning we won't let if you have a fully charged battery uh super capacitor i'm sorry we'll let you go from 100 percent down to almost nothing or will we just limit it and say you get two seconds at a time again i don't know questions to ask but nonetheless i've only heard it mentioned as a performance booster if that's the case uh we're not doing anything to save fuel we are just making more horsepower and more speed if indycar decides full electric propulsion can be used on pit lane under a caution for again however long the charge lasts um if there are scenarios where using non-engine internal combustion engine power is factored into its usage possibilities then yeah we could in theory see it play a role as a range extender but i only know of it right now as something that is used on top 
of the internal combustion engine horsepower. If IndyCar were to go the method of using torque sensors and such, like we see in IMSA with their hybrid system, where Chevrolet and Honda could pull down the internal combustion engine horsepower and fill that in with the energy recovery systems electronic horsepower well then all of a sudden all of the horsepower you make wouldn't have to be full ice horsepower plus ers power stacked on top you could in theory be using less power and therefore less fuel from the internal combustion engine and let the quote hybrid side of the system doesn't make any sense because keep in mind the internal combustion engine plus the energy recovery system those are two propulsion systems therefore a hybrid since you have two things making the car go forward but regardless nomenclature wise if you're relying on the hybrid system the battery part the electric power part to contribute to its overall speed by not asking the engine internal combustion part to make all the power you could be doing some fuel saving i just haven't heard that as anything indycar's thought of really truly doing so i'll have to find out if it's something where they say yep uh under caution you're welcome to turn the motor off keep in mind that the ers system is meant to act as the starter when this happens so no external starter needed you could use that to fire up the the ice um while rolling behind the pace car again those are ways i can think of to extend using it coming on to pit lane or exiting or both i don't know and i don't know if there's enough charge if i'm thinking indianapolis 500 pit lane that's long <laughs> that is a lot of road um would there be enough charge to do the whole thing don't know don't think so but more answers to follow jamie uh john ranjow you are the last question above the red line of death uh mp quick question john ranjow by the way founder of the prude and i know he says he isn't but i'll just give that to you because you i think are uh who's in the firestone firehawk suit is it a rotating intern each week or do they actually have a paid full-time mascot and where does at murderhawk 500 hide the bodies on the latter part i can't tell you because i've helped bury a couple of them um i don't know because i haven't thought to ask in recent years but i was aware beforehand that it was indeed a rotating cast at one point and this was a while ago like seven eight ten years ago i do recall someone from indycar asked me if i wanted to do it like race day or out on the grid and i'm now regretting the fact that i turned it down um wouldn't that have been the best because i would have just gone up and started pushing drivers and like kicking them in the backside and punching them and uh created an international incident or at least a local incident um not as good as stealing the pace car and uh yeah getting chased down and dragged out and handcuffed uh that's kind of the high water mark to achieve among some of those indycar 
media members who remain today, that always stands out as the, wow, I'm really glad you stopped drinking. Um, so I don't know if this rates as high as that, but yeah, me back in the day, uh, and hopefully folks would never learn it was me, but I would have just gone full rogue. So, uh, I hope that answers your question. Um, for those who want to join Ranjow and for what I'm told, uh, a couple hundred others in the Prude, not saying that there's a couple hundred active every day, but uh, who get together and discuss things on Discord and otherwise, uh, send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com. It's really and truly the friendliest and my favorite group of racing fans, IndyCar fans, IMSA fans, just love racing in general, but a group of folks who really lean towards being sweet and kind and funny and irreverent. And that is my tribe. Those are my kind of people. So prudayrocks at gmail.com. They will welcome you. Um, Okay, I am going to do a quick look down through the questions that didn't make the cut uh grant statter asking what lessons indycar can take from nascar's first ever street race that no one had ever attempted before ever ever it was the first ever street race in history um i feel like i might have mentioned that last week uh the the way that some street races are shot could certainly use a little bit more of a panoramic mindset the area in and around uh, exhibition place in Toronto is beautiful. Um, I'd just love to see more of it incorporated in how it's presented. Already went into Detroit and how the move to downtown was just tragic from a presentation standpoint. Long Beach is pretty darn good. I think do a pretty good job at St. Pete. But yeah, uh, the big cityscape look, the big tall buildings and the water nearby and all kind of like there's a baseball stadium inside the St. Pete track, the Dal- Salvador Dali Museum. Like, let's take a cinematic mindset because, boy, there's some more beautiful things to show that would make folks go, I got to get to that event because, boy, it's more than just cars going around narrow streets. So that, I would say, is the uh, the biggest lesson there. Uh, at Swinglish-ish-ish, I think I just answered your question about Will a hybrid system uh, remove the need for remote starter? The answer is yes. Uh, Brian Friedrich, you ask, where in Carbon San Diego is Alex Palou going in 2024? Um, Say if I was a betting person, where do you think Palou ends up next year? Next year, if it isn't Alpha Tori, I think he is driving that number six Aero McLaren Chevy and continuing to do f1 testing for mclaren um lance snyder say since silly season is in full swing how about an update on the third engine manufacturer which you were wrong about so obviously and there's positive news on that front right yes uh big news that uh uh acura is going to join indycar um and um uh what else buick buick's returning um so now we're gonna have four manufacturers or no we're just gonna have the parent company uh honda uh there and i guess i don't think chevy is a parent company of buick but anyways um yeah like this is just one of those things where i always want to be wrong and i want to do nothing more than to say i'm a thousand percent 
wrong and i'm totally happy here's a big surprise and here's a new manufacturer and they're going to be in it's all i want um we're just not there yet uh what else do we have here <clears throat> i better drink something uh jeremy davis good pal of the show uh, also asked about silly season stuff we covered that off brother with ben's question jeremiah morell our birthday boy also happy anniversary for you and your amazing wife significantly better half we've been meaning to tell you sarah's you know come on uh gotta step it up here uh you say hey fan community is really starting to get some excitement around the idea of new races and different markets for some races indianapolis probably doesn't need four weekends on the calendar for indycar the midwest schedule is so compressed that it makes the average fan cash strap by july to attend all these events it's such a great point so what, what can be done to get some date balance for regular fans who want to attend but not go broke all in a very short span in the process don't think we have a solution to this jeremiah for next year knowing that the olympics are going to knock out a couple of weeks in the middle of the calendar and basically we expect compact things a bit on either side so i don't know if next year's a solution but i will try and remember to pose this question to whomever indycar speak to next about calendar stuff to say hey how could we not bleed people dry in a short amount of time uh so they can go to more races it's a really great question um why don't we close with this because this is coming in from someone sending in a question for the very first time at uh privco priveco i'm not sure marshall long time listener first time asker Say, I'm a big fan of Felix Rosenquist, and I'm wondering what the paddock thinks of him and his capabilities. Say, I'm hoping he doesn't get shipped downward to a second or third tier team. And mention a lot of other things here, too. Uh, but say, come back to where do you think my guy Felix is going and how much bad luck can be excused? Um, it's funny. Uh, was speaking with a super close friend of his in the series and not one of his current teammates. And they said the same exact thing. And I pretty much was saying the same thing while they were saying it. Like, if there is something bad that happens, <laughs> it feels like it, it hits Felix first. Um, he's had a number of things happen this year where you go, nope, not your fault at all. Had a couple, though, unfortunately, Texas being a pretty big one, Indianapolis being a really big one where you go, oh, brother, uh, those were potential big results for you that, you didn't have because you yeah oops um since we're doing a, a quick fire show as much as we can i'll keep this short i've gone into this a little bit in depth in my part one of my mid-season musings and reflection maybe i didn't there i don't know maybe i did in what i'm writing uh, and some other stuff but i've been really happy to hear felix's name mentioned more and more as a higher value target higher value interest some teams last year that were below him in terms of quality that have gotten better some of those teams that might have inquired last year that were politely turned down um i think might be a, a decent fit for him um i don't think he's going to be back 
at Aaron McLaren. I really don't. And I know some of you might be going, well, duh, has not already been decided. This Pelot F1 thing, a little bit of a wrinkle. Not a huge wrinkle when it comes to Felix, but a little bit of a wrinkle. Meaning, what if Alex does end up signing for an F1 team? All of a sudden, forget Aaron McLaren thinking about going to four. They need to find someone for their third car, which they weren't really planning on doing. They were planning on replacing Felix. Well, holding on to Felix would be the thing where you go, well, that makes total sense, right? I don't know. I don't know how much McLaren is looking at Felix as a, if not below, you're guaranteed to stay in that car. I also don't know if Felix is looking at Errol McLaren as a, oh my gosh, I'm just going to wait until my last breath before giving up on hope of being here. Just from the outside. Feels like this relationship might be kind of sort of running its course. Could he have a better time somewhere else? Maybe, right? Errol McLaren's a really good team. Self-worth is a big deal. If you're into year two now, feeling like, man, <laughs> if we're voting someone off the island, uh, there's no need to hold a vote. I know who it is. I'll just start swimming. I'm out. You know, it comes a time where you're like, geez, okay, it's clear, clear. I'm not your guy, uh, but maybe I could. No, I think there might be an underappreciated thing here of Felix starting over or moving on to wherever and uh yeah nothing to do with proving anything back to Aaron mclaren or whatever his whole thing last year the reason they started looking for options was because he told them he wanted to leave not that he wanted to leave the team wanted to go back live in europe uh based in monaco having some relationship issues appeared that resolving those issues would come by getting out of the U S going back to Europe, living there with his girlfriend and him racing in formula E for McLaren. Um, they ended up breaking up. He no longer had a need, uh, no longer. I don't know if he ever really wanted to leave, uh, but was thinking of doing that for love. Didn't exactly work out. Not a problem. He has since found new love, which is great. Learned about that, I think, in May or something. Um, but it's since then been a bit of a, huh, okay. Uh, I guess I exposed cracks in my willingness to stay here. And now, if there's an opportunity, I am for certain the guy that is going to get pitched. So I look at Chip Ganassi Racing and say, man, that guy would be perfect going back there. I look at Andretti Autosport and think that guy could really do some good things there. I look at Meyer Shank. I look at Ray Hall. I have no doubt that Felix Rosenqvist will be in respect the V. Throw the V in there, people. Uh, Felix Rosenqvist will indeed be racing for someone, being paid and hopefully well paid in IndyCar next year and for years to come because uh, he deserves it. And yeah, like the idea of him being in new colors, new team, old team, I don't know, different team. Um, we have yet to see the best from him. And I hope 
he gets at least one win before he's done here with Aaron McLaren. It'd be great for him and the team. And off we go. All right. Thank you for all the questions you've sent in. Uh, hey, I haven't gotten a Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A show done on a Monday in a little while, so I'll keep trying to get this done this way if possible. Uh, posted an episode with Marcus Armstrong, listener, not a listener Q&A, but a listener listener show, interview show. And uh, yeah, might try and have, I want to grab uh, Lewis Foster and maybe have him on uh, winner of the most recent um, NXT race. And then who knows, uh, try and have a kid on here from the USF championships as well. So not done for the week by any means. Appreciate you and all the questions you sent in and to our partners at Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire. I'll speak to you here soon.